0: All right, so if you've been around long enough, you know this, Uh, we don't line up sermon series and individual sermons with holidays that aren't Christmas and Easter. It's just not a thing that, that we do. We did last year do Psalm 31 on Mother's Day, but that was very much the exception, not the rule. So it's not intentional to put a psalm of lament right before July 4th, but it is where it landed on the calendar. And that's what we're looking at today is Psalm 42. It'll be on page 268 in the blue Bibles that are right around you. You can grab one of those. You can also follow along on the screen as we walk through this. So culturally, uh, in America, we don't handle suffering and sadness very well. That's just a cultural thing. We don't, we don't handle very well. And in the American church, we're, we're not much different. We don't handle that subject well either I could give you lots of examples of how that proves to be true I really just want to give you one this morning uh, and that is K-Love. that is Christian radio so this might step on some toes I'm mildly apologetic about it but Christian radio uh, in this department is very painful it's painful in general for many reasons first off there's a lot of stuff that ends up on the radio that just is bad it's bad theologically songs you should not sing Bad quality songs that should be done differently Uh, you know there's 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 lots of reasons Uh, you know the songs that come from churches that I would never recommend you ever visit personally ever 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 there's a variety of reasons why Christian radio can be a landmine but one of the ones that uh, that is more pertinent that Love really um, misses the mark on is that they're literally branded as positive and encouraging that's it positive and encouraging, and what that really means, and how they define encouragement, is very narrowly what they mostly mean. It's positive, it's positivity, and you know that's kind of been a thing for years in Christian radios. It's just like it's all, it's, it's a lot, it's very, very happy, positive, positive, positive. And listen, I'm not against encouragement. I think encouragement is a very biblical thing, but you gotta have a broader category for that. And I, I, I you know, that's 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 been a thing, uh, but I didn't want to. I was like, you know, I haven't listened to Christian radio in some time so let me get on K-Love and listen and as soon as I turn it on this song got off and this guy got on and was like it's National Selfie Day he's like and just got really excited about National Selfie Day and then he had this little jingle that went with it that was you know turn that frown upside down I was like you've got to be kidding me it took two minutes for me to hear this and I was like all right no I, I think I think they're on brand I think they're sticking to what they do okay here's why that's problematic When life curb stomps your happiness, okay? When it destroys the good things that are happening in your life, you you need more than just positivity. That's not going to cut it. But, I mean, listen, you need more than even solid, cheerful theological songs. All right? Psalm 100 is glorious. I mean, that's a beautiful psalm. Some of the songs we sing are very joyful great things he has done like we but there's got to be more than that The, the psalm book gives us more than just joyful songs when life is hard you need more than celebration you need a dirge you need lament and the psalm book gives us that as a holistic part of worship that there are psalms throughout the whole 150 psalm book that give us this and we're in one of them today And my hope is, is that this would expand a category of worship for us. But what we're going to see as we follow through this today is that godly godly lament does not seek to fix our pain and suffering and loss. But it will help us endure. And that is what Psalms do for us. They help us endure through it all. So we're going to see that this morning as we walk through this. Let me pray for us, then we will jump in. Gotta pray that you'd help us be present this morning as we walk through a psalm that is heavier. There are folks that are in a joyous season right now. And I pray that this would speak to them, preparing their hearts for the day of suffering when it comes. There are folks in our church family that are suffering. That right now, this is, this is very apparent in their life. And I pray, God, that you would use this psalm to provide unbelievable comfort that is found in you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so the psalm book, the psalms have subscripts underneath them that I'd argue probably go back to the original when it was recorded. And this Psalm 42 has that. as a subscript that gives us some context. And it says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now, we don't know what mascal means that happens in the psalms, there's certain words we don't know. It could be an artistic teaching type psalm. But we do know who the sons of Korah are. If you know the, the, the story of the sons of Korah, their descendant, their ancestor, is Korah. So Korah was a part of a rebellion that happened against Moses in the wilderness. And that rebellion did not go well for the people who rebelled. The earth literally gave way in judgment and swallowed them whole. So some of the sons of Korah survived this and they bear the history of their ancestors rebellion of his unfaithfulness but they go on to do this is a really cool redemption story they go on to do great things they become worship leaders they become psalm writers they some of them are are in the party of david when david is on the run for his life and it's just a really cool backdrop to see the suffering that they come from and the redemption that they have that sets up Psalms like Psalm 42, so that's the subscript, then you get to verse one. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. So, as a deer pants for flowing streams, I like to deer hunt. That is a hobby of mine. I actually got to join a hunting club this year. I'm very excited about it. Been working on the land, getting it ready for uh, the fall. One of the things that you, uh, when you're choosing land to hunt on, You want to choose land that has a water source of some type because if it doesn't have a stream or a creek or something nearby you will not have a lot of luck deer need water that's the point as a deer pants for flowing streams as an animal who is in need, who's dehydrated, who needs water to survive. So my soul pants for you, O oh God. We're gonna see this next week in Psalm One, when Psalm One says, "He is like a tree planted by streams of water." That God is this vibrant life source, this well of worship and joy and, and goodness. Like we, He says, "As my dear, as a dear pants for flowing streams." So my soul so pants, my soul for you. He's desperate in need of the Lord. And what it's setting up is that, that this man is a man who loves the Lord. That this lament is not disconnected from the fact that he is a godly man. He loves the Lord. He longs for the Lord. And that, that's a part of building this category of lament. That it needs to come from a desperate love and desire and pursuit of God. Because oftentimes, culturally, mourning and sadness and lamenting of our culture isn't that. when we're sad we'll escape or we'll distract ourselves or we'll comfort ourselves which in the south means a lot of unhealthy food and I'm not saying like bringing food isn't I'm not I'm not down on that but you gotta have a broader category that says no godly lament is coming before the Lord desperately needing him longing for him that kind of godly lament does not seek to fix our suffering and sadness, but it it helps us endure. It helps us withstand, and that's what he's doing here when he gets into verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So we're going to see this throughout the rest of this psalm, but that statement there, when shall I I come and appear before God, we're going to see it fleshed out, that he can't be in the presence of God right now. That he's far away from the presence of God. So in uh, this period, the presence of God ruled and reigned from. This is either written during the period when the tabernacle was in existence or the temple. But both of those had the same thing. This is where God ruled and reigned amongst the people of God. This is where he ruled and reigned from. And this is where worship happened before the Lord. So when he's separated from the Lord here, he can't be worshiping before the Lord. And that's a very joyous event. As the sacrifices were being offered, there was all types of joyful singing before the Lord. There were instruments like trumpets, and harps, and lyres, and tambourines, and strings, and pipes, and cymbals, and dancing. Yes, dancing, Baptists. There's this joyful worship before the Lord, and he can't be there. We don't know if it's because he's on the run with David, if he's one of those Korites, or if he's been banished from the temple. We don't, we don't really know why he can't be there, but he longs to be there, like in a barren desert, needing thirst, he needs God. Which, just pause for a moment. That just gives us, that, that elevates the importance of corporate worship, of what we do here every Sunday. It is good for our souls to be here. And, and we just, a lot of times we take that for granted. Like the inside joke for us as pastors is, if we want to make an announcement, it's got to be not just done on one week. You have to do it like multiple weeks in a row, because we're this is something, we're not alone in this. A lot of Southern churches struggle with this. That if you're had a long week or we're tired or, you know, coming off vacation or whatever, it's just easy to to miss out on this. And even in our church, it's a lot easier actually to be in a community group and show up on, in the week than it is on a Sunday morning. And I want to push on that a little bit to say, no value this time. It's good it's good for your soul to be amongst the people of god worshiping him together so he goes on in verse three he says my tears have been my food day and night what a vivid picture of suffering that he's in such mourning he can't drink from the streams of worship that is before the lord that he's day and night crying so much so that tears are flowing down his face they're flowing blubbering into his mouth and that should expand the category for us, and especially um, men more struggle with this, generally speaking, that, that emotions are okay. You don't have to put your emotions in a box and put it up on a shelf and never talk about it again. No, like, te- tears are fine. It's a healthy part of worship. Jesus, the God-man, wept when he saw Mary and Martha mourning when Lazarus died. We should have that as a category of response i'm trying to build this in my own son who's four i'm trying to help him see listen there are things that we don't cry about all right not getting the right ice cream not getting the right toy like that's not you know yesterday was his sister's birthday and at time's frustrated he's not the same. No, no no no. it's all right we're not, we're not gonna we're not gonna cry about that there are things you do cry about there are things that that you should grieve there are things that you should have tears for i'm trying to build that in himself or build that in him we need that we need to grow in that he's weeping before the lord my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long where is your god so in the midst of weeping he's being taunted with where is your god And i would argue that that's more than just the skeptical taunting of where is your god because we hear that culturally you hear that a lot where is your God when the shooting in Uvalde happened? Where is your God when children were dying? That's—I don't think that's what's happening here. I think it's more personal to him. He's, he can't be in the presence of God, so they're, they're, they're poking on something that's deeply hurtful for him. Where is your God? Oh, you can't be there amongst your people in the presence of God. Verse four: These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And then he starts to recollect how I would go with a throng. Throng is just a crowd, the crowd worshiping together. I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Oh, I remember how I used to lead and worship amongst the people with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. That's such a human response. In the midst of suffering, to long for the good old days. Maybe that's for you, that's long for the days when you were a kid, when you were in high school, the days of college, longing for the days when you're in this community group, with this group of people, and this time of life, this friend group. That's very natural. That's what he's doing, he's longing for the days when he could joyfully worship in the presence of God. And then verse 5, we get this refrain. So the way that the psalm is structured is you've got verses, refrain, verses, refrain. So think like verses chorus, verses chorus. That's kind of how this works. Here it is, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Why am I so sad? Why is there so much turmoil in my soul? That is a question that many of us will ask in life. Why am I so sad? Why am I depressed? What's wrong with me? Why can't I feel better? And a lot of times those answers are not readily available. Last week we looked at Psalm 55, which was cast your cares, your burdens, your anxieties upon the Lord. And he will sustain you. And as I walked through that kind of helped us see a little bit that anxiety is complicated. And we've taught that in the past. It's complicated. There's there's physical things that contribute to that. There's spiritual things that contribute to that. There's behavioral patterns. There's all kinds of things that makes anxiety a very complex subject matter. But the scriptures say in the midst of that, it has a word for it. It has a word for us when it says to cast your cares upon the Lord. The, The prescription is coming to the Lord with our anxieties and depression. depression is a close cousin of anxiety in fact a lot of times they they come together for some folks desire depression and anxiety come together and depression is complex it just is There are physical things that add to it all the way down to where you live geography matters right you live in more northern parts of the hemisphere it's a little bit harder when you have less sunlight sunlight matters the vitamin d is it matters seasonal affect depression matters that sometimes winter it's very hard. There are physical things. There's, there's chemical things that are happening that contribute to depression. There's behavioral patterns that contribute to depression and deep sadness. It's a strong correlation between social media usage and depression, especially the younger you are. There's contributing factors that make it a very complicated thing. It is definitely multifactorial. The part of the treatment is very similar. It's coming before the Lord with our depression, coming before the Lord with our. Sadness that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's deeply depressed. He's lamenting before the Lord and he's asking before the Lord his own soul Why are you cast down? Why is the innermost part of my being so Deeply sad and distressed. Why is there so much turmoil within me or as one songwriter? Paraphrases this he says why so disturbed within me? He's asking this these are difficult questions to ask before the Lord, you have to begs the question, why is he asking this of himself before the Lord? And it's very simply, he is acknowledging reality, he is acknowledging his reality before the Lord, that he is in a desperate, depressed, sad state, you can try to act like you're not depressed, you can try to act like you're not sad, you can try to grit your teeth and, and, and get through it, or you can acknowledge reality before the Lord. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers in Western history of the last 500 years. Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, was, I mean, had an early ministry from 20 all the way until he passed away in his mid 50s. And what some people don't realize is, is that Spurgeon, if you read about his life, was depressed on and off most of his life, most of his adult life. He struggled with depression. I mean, there are times where he literally he, 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 could not must, he could not muster the strength to stand up and proclaim the word of God. He's nicknamed the Prince of Preachers. That's his nickname. That's a dope nickname that you want if you're a preacher. But he could not muster the strength sometimes to actually come before the Lord and proclaim the word of God. That there were times that he was deeply, deeply sad. And part, there's there's multiple things that contributed to that. One of the things that he had was he had chronic pain. That he had chronic gout and kidney disease. He had to leave London. The doctor said, you need to leave London. So he had a place in the south of France where he would go to get better weather, less harsh climate, more sunlight. That's that's actually where he died. Because he got away out of London. And he just never came back because he died there. Spurgeon once said this, I could say with Job, and Job is an Old Testament story where a man suffered immensely, I could say with Job, my soul chooseth strangling rather than life. And then he says, I could readily enough have laid violent hands upon myself to escape from my misery of spirit. That is Spurgeon saying that I could have readily harmed myself and endure this miserable spiritual state. And Spurgeon was a great man of faith. He understood this psalm well. He's a great man of faith, and some people will try to reduce depression down to, well, if you just have enough faith, you would be joyful. Don't don't, Don't you know the gospel? Don't you know how good the news is? Just believe the gospel, and it's just not that simple sometimes. To muster up enough faith to lift you out of this faith does not guarantee hear this faith does not guarantee a permanent state of joy it just it just doesn't not this side of the fall it does not guarantee a permanent state of joy but in faith we get to endure through suffering through lament and through hear this a right understanding of who god is so when he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? His in his next breath he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In the midst of depression, he knows where his ultimate hope is found. His hope is in the Lord. He is not able to praise God joyfully now. That day is coming for him. He will joyfully praise God again, but it is not yet. So that's the refrain that's gonna be repeated at the end. And then, from that position of faith, knowing who God is, he continues, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar." So this is where we see how separated he is okay that he is in the land of Jordan he's that's far away from Jerusalem that's how far he is as he's suffering longing to be back in Jerusalem longing to be before the Lord in his presence and then verse 7 he says deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me water is very metaphorical throughout the scriptures and how it's being used. I mean, you just saw in verse one like God is a stream of water that he longs for, but the picture here changes. It's replaced with a violent picture of water, the roar of a waterfall, waves crashing over him, like the judgment waters that crashed over Jonah. This is the picture that's happening here. And I want you to hear what he says. I want you to, he feels the pain, but I want you to acknowledge I want you to see what he acknowledges here. He says, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. He's talking to God. Your breakers, your waves have gone over me. And that highlights and taps into a difficult truth that is mysterious and and hard to wrap our minds around that God is sovereign over suffering. He's sovereign over our suffering and our pain. People try to get around that, try to explain that away, and they'll say, no, it's actually, this is the work of the devil that increases suffering in our lives, or this is our own flesh, you know, our own sin, you know, results in suffering, or, or the world is a fallen place, and in a fallen place there is suffering, and all of that is true, okay? The enemy absolutely does increase suffering. Our sinful mistakes absolutely do increase suffering. We do live in a world that is fallen and broken, and because of that suffering exists, but God is sovereign over all of that, which is why he says your breakers, your waves. God has ordained for him to suffer in that purpose. God ordains suffering in our lives. We don't always understand why. We don't understand the purposes, the mysteries, all behind it. But don't miss that when he says, your breakers and your waves are crashing over me. And as he says that, right in the next breath, he says in verse 8, By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. As he's acknowledging the suffering that God is sovereign over, that your waves and your breakers are crashing over me. You are the God of steadfast love. And, and, and look at this. And at night, his song is with me. That at night, he's worshiping God. This, this man loves the Lord. He is worshiping in the midst of his suffering. And he's pouring out songs and prayers. And we get a glimpse of his prayers in verse 9 when he says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? why do i go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a deadly wound in my bones my adversaries my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long where is your god he he says i say to my god why have you forgotten me what a bold prayer why have you forgotten me why do you why do you allow my enemies to taunt me like this in the midst of my suffering that almost feels dangerous to question God like that and it would be dangerous if it was done from a place of arrogance or a place of pride if he was questioning the character of God but he's not doing that he says you're the God of steadfast love you are my rock the breakers your breakers he, he, he understands who God is and the character of God so he's not doing this from a place of arrogance, or pride, or self-righteousness. He's doing it from a place of deep humility. It's a legitimate plea. Spurgeon once said that faith is allowed to inquire of her God the causes of his displeasure. They're done from a place of faith. You can ask, God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? Why am I so sad? Why do I suffer, O Lord? And then he ends it in verse five, or verse, uh, the, re- the repeated refrain of verse five shows up in verse eleven. This is the final verse. He says, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God." And that's it. There's a promise of future joy but it's not now and this it, it, it is an end joyfully it acknowledges the reality of it there's no verse 12 that says and everything gets awesome this is not it's not what happens here it just ends and I could expand on this psalm in a lot of different ways There's a lot of different directions you can run with this to deal with sadness and loss and depression and suffering I just wanna I just wanna end On one idea you need good theology to help you endure a downcast soul in turmoil you need a right understanding of who God is and a right worship of who of God to endure depression suffering and loss Jerry Bridges a pastor once said trust is not a passive state of mind Faith is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. He says faith is not a passive state. We're passively just believing the promises of God. It is an active vigorous, clinging to, claiming, holding the promises of God, laying hold of who he is. And that happens throughout this entire psalm. Verse 2, God is the living God. Verse 5, God is my salvation. Verse 8, God is the God of steadfast love. Verse 9, God is my rock. Verse 11, God is the God of my salvation. This psalmist has a healthy understanding of who god is and there is a great danger as a christian being unprepared for suffering there's a danger and an overemphasis on positivity on faking it till you make it on saying i'm fine i'm good i'm good i'm good i'm fine and never actually preparing your soul for what awaits you If your understanding of God and believing in him is that he is going to, faith equals blessing in this life. If that's the equation of your heart, then you are setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for when that happens, the questions of God that are not done from a position of faith, but are done from a position of arrogance. that says, I I would not believe in a God who lets this happen. I can't believe in a God who would let this person die. My brother, my sister, my father, my child. I can't believe in a God who would allow this type of suffering in my life. If you do not prepare yourself to suffer with a theology of suffering now, when that day comes, you will not question God from a position of faith like this psalmist. Too many Christians have walked away from the faith because of an because of a wrong belief of who God is, and when suffering comes, and it will come, they did not endure. We have to take this seriously, that's why I tell Christians, even if you're in a season of prosperity where things are going well, even when it's joyous, you don't ignore this, you need to prepare your soul for the suffering that awaits, because spiritual famine is going to come. That is a reality for the life of a Christian. And this psalmist was ready. He was ready. And in, in the midst of great loss and sadness, he proclaims who God is as he suffers in the land of the Jordan. You got to start building that now. And part of that happens when you take an active role in reciting truth to yourself. That's what the psalmist does here in the midst of this lament. The problem is, is that we, we don't do that enough. We don't recite truth to ourselves enough. Uh, the welsh pastor from the 20th century martin lloyd jones his commentary on psalm 42 is just amazing i love it this is what he says a longer quote you guys so follow along with me but this is what he says about this have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself hear that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Someone is talking to you. Who is talking to you? Your self is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him he starts talking to himself why art thou cast down O my soul he asks his soul has been depressing him crushing him so he stands up and says self listen for the moment I will speak to you man I love that because what happens is, is we'll let bad theology bad feedback loops bad thought patterns dictate reality and the narrative for us and you'll hear, God doesn't care, God doesn't love me, God enjoys my pain. Nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, no one would care if I died. In fact, I probably should just die and end this. We talk to people all the time in our church family that think those kind of thought patterns, are, they're just normal. And that's the self speaking to you. We also say that's the enemy also contributing to that, speaking to you. And we say, no, Christian, you have the Holy Spirit alive and at work in you. Uh Uh-uh. Talk to yourself. Recite truth to yourself. Recite who God is, the God of steadfast love, the psalmist says. My rock, the psalmist says. My salvation, the psalmist says. And from that right understanding of who God is, we have the humble plea that says, God, why do I suffer like this? Why am I so sad? I don't know, God, why I'm suffering. I don't know why you've not chosen to lift the cloud of darkness from my life. I know you're good. I know your steadfast love endures forever. I know know that you are enough, and I will praise you regardless brothers and sisters we need good theology to help us combat lies to help us combat the naysayers our soul our flesh and then from that we lament we offer sad solemn prayers before the lord like psalm 42. psalm 42 is a sufferer who's lamenting his pain before the lord articulating the darkness and the turmoil that is in him and when we do that listen faith it is not going, it's not going to fix suffering and the sadness but it is going to help you endure through it it will help you get to the other side now there's a lingering question I'm sure with some of you that is okay but if God is so good and so full of steadfast love then why would he allow suffering to happen in this life and in my life we address this in our preaching because as a church we seek to build a theology of suffering within us and the majority of the time I just want to sit in the psalmist lynette, but I will give you this I was reading this week read a lot about Spurgeon's life because his life is very helpful for this type of subject And as i was reading i was reading this theologian's uh, take on him and i thought his commentary was very helpful he said this tears spurgeon discovered through experience can clear the eye so that we see with an improved vision and perspective losses reveal the insufficiency of all things around us that we cherish enabling us to appreciate the all-sufficiency of Christ more. In a fallen world, suffering reveals the insufficiency of everything else you can put your hope in. It's mysterious, we don't know why, we don't get all the answers, but we know good and well that when suffering comes it reveals where we put our hope in and part of the gift of suffering is when it happens is it reveals where we put our eternal hope that is not in god and in those moments we get to turn back to god and put our hope in him we get a better hope in the god who looked on the suffering in this world and did not leave us there we get to look At the man of sorrows who came down, Christ, from heaven to live a life of suffering on our behalf. Who went to the cross to suffer for our sins and rebellion against God. And on the cross, he prays, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows this feeling. He knows what it's like. But he knows what it's like because God loves us because he came for us. So that we would place faith in him. And that doesn't mean that it resolves the suffering in our lives. But joy will come. It may take months, it may take years, and it may not even happen until death. But there is a joy that awaits us. And that joy pales in comparison to the moment of suffering that we have in this life right now. So from a position of faith, knowing the God who came and rescued us, knowing the God who sympathizes with our weaknesses and sympathizes with our sufferings, we come to the man of sorrows and we worship him. So brothers and sisters, my plea is that we would fight to be people that build on a theology of suffering, that ready ourselves for the day of suffering, and that when sadness and depression and suffering and loss comes, we can Take Psalm 42, this lament, and from a position of faith, we're not to fake it, we're not to be positive, we're not to be cheerful. We can lament our pain before the God who understands all of it. Matt's gonna come up, and he's gonna close us with a song of lament that is based on this psalm. and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And that symbolizes his body that was torn to bits on the cross. And he took the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood that was shed for you, that as often as you eat and drink this, you proclaim my death until I return. So this is a meal for Christians where we come forth and we remember what happened at the cross, remember that God does love us, that he doesn't want us to ultimately suffer, that ultimately he wants himself for us. That in the midst of suffering, that means that he is enough, but it does point forward to what Jesus points forward to, the one day when all things are made new, when there is no more suffering and there is no more loss and there will be no more lamenting and weeping and mourning, that day will be eternally joyous. But this side of the fall, until that day comes, we come to the table sometimes as sufferers, as mourners, as those who lament. So Christian, come to the table remembering what Christ has done for us and remembering what Christ will do for us when all things are made new if you're not a christian please don't come to the table this is not a meal for you we want christ for you we want you to believe in him he is the god of steadfast love he is good his mercy is good his grace is sufficient we want you to experience the goodness of our god in faith and repentance invite you to do that now if you have questions about that if questions about suffering questions about any of that i invite you to come and talk to me i invite that conversation when you're ready you prepared yourself to come and take the lord's supper come to the front and the back there's gluten-free in that back corner over there prepare yourself and let's worship the lord father thank you for the goodness of the gospel desperately need you, there are folks here that are deeply, deeply hurting, that feel forgotten, that feel unloved, God, I pray that you would be so present, so near right now, that as we take your meal, as we sing this music, as we listen, as we respond, that you'd be present, and that you'd help us endure. Gotta pray if there's anyone here that's not trusted in you. Pray right now that you would make the gospel so clear and so compelling that they would not leave this moment without placing their faith in you. We ask this in Jesus' name.